Well, it was a couple of years ago, my wife and I decided to purchase a new vehicle. And we decided to purchase a uh, Toyota Prius wagon. Does anyone here have a Toyota Prius? No Prius people? Yeah, I understand. She'll hear. So we settled on a Prius, and we thought it would be a great car for the family. You know, economical, uh, reliable, a Toyota, fuel efficient, obviously. It was a hybrid, and it had the latest technological features. And uh, it would have room for our kid and our dog. You know, the perfect, perfect vehicle, so we thought. But it was about, I think, about six months into the, the ownership of the vehicle that my wife, Karina, said, I hate this car. <laughs> and being that she was the primary driver of the car, uh, we were a little nervous. Or That was obviously a problem, I guess. And truthfully, I didn't like the car much either. And, you know, as an aspiring environmentalist, I appreciated its fuel efficiency uh, but I didn't really like driving the car much. You know, like most hybrids, it has very little to offer by way of acceleration. The seats, the front seats, like the, the cockpit, so to speak, it just was not comfortable in my opinion. And then uh, after, being, after adding another dog, um, and for, for some background, we have a kind of a Labrador mix, and then we added another Labrador, and then hoping to add another kid, which we eventually did, uh, we realized this car was not going to work. So we're, we're in a bit of a bind, and we tried to go the whole trade-in route, but after like learning that you know, we, were, we were basically going to have to make two car payments and get one car left, uh, we realized like we're better off just trying to sell it ourselves. So we put it on the used car market on like, cars.com or something, and it really just sat you know, for a while until we had a positive lead. And... Uh, it was a woman who had uh, owned a Volkswagen diesel, and if you remember a few years ago when they had the Volkswagen emissions scandal, she had one of those diesel cars that was being recalled, and was looking for something similarly fuel-efficient to replace it with. Now, as it turns out, this wasn't just any price-conscious consumer looking to save a little bit of money on gas. She was a person who worked for the Sierra Club or something like that, and she was very concerned about purchasing a, a fuel-efficient car. And she was an interesting uh, woman. She was very disturbed, though, to realize that her, you know, her Volkswagen diesel, which uh, she thought had been very fuel-efficient and good on the environment, was actually a serious polluter, which, again, that was part of the scandal. So she was, had a, quite a bit of angst about the fact that, you know, here she was, an environmentalist, like, just polluting more so the environment. And she seemed, though, because of that, I guess, guilt to really want to do the best she could to make up for it. As it turns out, her very principled stand was beneficial to us. And here's why. She had looked at several other dealerships around the area um, to find, you know, new Toyota Priuses. And she'd actually found, I think, one at least as cheap. But because of her commitment to her environmental standards, uh, she thought it would be better if she just purchased a used car rather than a new car because, in her mind, purchasing a new car would contribute to more, I guess, carbon expenditure, or whatever the words we would say. Um, so the good news is we were able to sell the car to her. It's still we took a painful loss, but we were able to sell the car we didn't like and get out from underneath that uh, 
payment and her unwavering commitment to her environmental principles, though, had benefited us. I mean, I mean, she could have just gone to the dealership, which has been far simpler in my mind, you know, uh, rather than going through all the rigmarole that it took to buy our car. I wonder if I would have been willing to make those same sacrifices or commitments if I was in her place. If I would just said, you know what, it's so much easier and so much simpler, I'm just going to go to the dealership and forget about these people selling their used car. For me, I think that money and time and energy would have gotten in the way of being true to my values if they were my own values. So that that commitment or that willingness to be true to one's values is something that I both admire and I find convicting. Recently, I've watched shows like The Handmaid's Tale and The Man in the High Castle and been and wondered, like, putting myself in those contexts, imagining if I lived in those worlds, if I would be the one who was fighting for good, or if I would have been the one who had just gone along with the status quo so as to not have to suffer. And, you know, I think it's easy for us to say, like, oh, I, I, would, I would be on the side of the... the re- What's season three about in The Man in the Castle, The Resistance, Right. I think it's easy for us to see, like, to say, like, I would be the one fighting for a good, and, but it's so much easier, though, just to go along with the status quo. And, and I think about that because I think about how often, even my, even in our time and age, how often I'm, you know, on my phone, I'm just scrolling past mindlessly stories of poverty and hunger and discrimination, not even batting an eye. Now, in fairness to me, we are humans. We can only handle so much. And um, I feel like I'm going to take this off so I can have more freedom. You know, we are human, and we there's something called compassion fatigue. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. And I guess compassion fatigue is basically, you know, if you're if you're if if you just basically see too much. For too long, you basically just get worn out of, you know, you just become indifferent to suffering. And truthfully, with our 24-7 news cycle and our, you know, our cell phones and social media is what it is, it's just like, it is not stop bad news, it seems like. I mean, I hate to be a bummer this morning, but that's what it feels like, and Part of the reason I listen to sports radio a lot, and one of the reasons I listen to sports radio a lot, because listening to the regular news just gets too depressing. Like, I can check out by just listening to talking heads argue about who the Broncos quarterback should be or whether they should trade Demarius Thomas or not, rather than have to listen to all the stories that we had to listen to this past week. And that was a lot. So, you know, I want to make the world a better place. I want to do more to help people. But, I, you know, I, if you're like me, you know, and you go to the store and you go check out and the cashier asks you to round up your purchase to the next dollar to help whatever such and such cause, I mean, maybe I'm the only one who does this. 
sometimes just says no thanks and moves on because I'm worn out of being asked by every single cashier, it seems, if I'd like to round up my dollar to the next cause. I mean, I just get worn out from it. You know, hopefully I'm not alone in this. <laughs> you know, I, th I think that's true of all of us at different points in our lives. We want to do more. We want to make the world a better place. We admire, and we admire those people who just seem to be to have unending levels of concern. And our society obviously places those people uh, on a pedestal and deservedly, deservedly so. We think about people like Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. or Mother Teresa or Harvey Milk. And we're in awe of their ability to sacrifice of themselves for the greater good. And boy, they sacrificed. I mean, Gandhi went through how many hunger strikes before like Martin Luther King and Harvey Milk uh, being assassinated. And then uh, uh, Mother Teresa took vows of poverty and chastity and obedience. And certainly her life was no, no vacation at all. Now, truthfully, I don't think God is asking any of us to become another Mother Teresa or Gandhi or uh, Harvey Milk, or Martin Luther King Jr. But is there something more that we could do? And if, if, if not, or if, if there is more we can do, what is getting in the way of that? So uh, we are in the second week of our series called Upside Down, which you see our graphic there. And we look at what Jesus calls the kingdom of God and how it turns expectations upside down. Like I mentioned last week, Jesus lived in a pretty polarized uh, climate in a country that was occupied by the Roman Empire in the midst of just really incredibly bad economic inequality. And he went around uh, teaching what's, what he called the kingdom of God, and it was basically his understanding of how different the world would be if God were in charge of things. So again and again, Jesus has found telling stories comparing his present political situation to things as he believed they would be if God was in charge, what he called the kingdom of God. So he'd kind of he'd kind of say, well, the kingdom of God is like this. And he'd tell all these stories to illustrate what he believed about God's kingdom. Uh, but but interestingly so, and that's part of the reason why when we read about these stories of the kingdom of God, they're kind of confusing because he was basically arguing against um, the political situation as it was in that time. And like, unlike today, if they didn't like you, they could just have you killed, which we know what happened. So, so Jesus went around telling these different stories about God's kingdom to get people thinking and basically saying, this is how things are, but this is how things should be or would be if God was in charge. So this morning we, we have a passage from the book of Mark where Jesus inserts the language of the kingdom of God into a conversation about religion and wealth. Uh, so we're going to read here from the uh, book of Mark, chapter 10. I've got to try to turn the page with one hand. So in Mark 10, uh, verses 17 through 27, it's a story about the rich man. And in verse 17 it says, and he was setting out on a journey, and a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, Why do you call me good? 
No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. And the rich man said to Jesus, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go and sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, And who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. So the story got me thinking about how we could try to understand the story in our context. And the story is told... The same story is told in, in, in the book of Matthew and also in the book of Luke. And in those two stories, they add uh, one that he was a young man and the other that uh, he was a ruler. So it got me thinking, like, if we were to tell the story in our context, maybe it would be Elon Musk came to Jesus or Mark Zuckerberg came to Jesus or even Jared Kushner came to Jesus and said, you know, teacher... I've been a good person. I've donated to charity. I've followed the law. I'm even religious. What else do I need to do to be saved? To which Jesus would respond as shocking then as it would be today. Sell everything you have. Donate your stocks and your charity and your bonds to charity and, and, and give over your business to the poor. And then follow me. And I can imagine for Musk or Zuckerberg, or Kushner, the response would be the same as what was of that young man years ago. To shrug their shoulders, purse their lips, and frown as they walked away. It's an interesting story. And I want to say that this is a story about wealth here. Interestingly enough, Jesus does say it's easier for uh, it's easier for a camel to fit through a needle hole than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the reason why he says that is as to Jesus, the kingdom of God was a place defined by generosity and equality. There would be no hoarding or inequality if God were in charge. But in fairness to the rich man. If we leave this passage, if we leave this story about just being a story about money, we let ourselves off the hook. Because while this story is about wealth, that's not all. Jesus is seeking to turn this man away from his own self-concern and to concern about other people. And I think that's something we can all relate to. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no one here who has took a trip to South Carolina and won the Powerball? Nobody? Okay. I was hoping for, like, a big tie about that. 
but I guess we're, I guess no one's here. So again, correct me if I'm wrong, there's no one who's like secretly a billionaire. So theoretically, none of us are really struggling with the problem of wealth. Maybe we wish would be, right? Not right now. So fabulous riches might not be our thing that's getting in the way of us caring more for other people. But if you're like me, we have other things that pull away our attention. It's the challenges of raising children. Maybe it's financial burdens. Maybe it's relationship struggles. Maybe it's just the struggle of getting yourself through another day. What I think Jesus was saying to the rich man and the story says to us is that when we stop worrying so much about ourselves and start worrying about others, that's when we find salvation. Now, I'm not saying we should abandon our children, although uh, parents out there, I think there's some days they wish we would, could maybe. Um, you know, Friday night, Jackson did not woke in the middle of the night, and we eventually just had to close the door and let him out, cry it out. Some days we have those feelings, but that's not what God's asking of us. He's not asking us to ignore our financial obligations, to break up our relationships, or to stop caring for ourselves. I think it's like this. I'm not, I'm not stealing food from my children's mouths when I support uh, feeding programs for other children. I'm not hurting my own marriage when I support marriage equality. And if I can be frank this morning, myself as a man, Karina, my wife, is a woman. We don't lose anything when we affirm in transgendered persons the ability to live as they believe God made them to be. We as a church support trans persons because we believe that Jesus, throughout his time on earth, constantly affirmed and welcomed people who were otherwise excluded and rejected from his society. We think about the lepers, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, People who were excluded, Jesus welcomed in and loved them and affirmed them. And this is something Jesus did throughout his ministry. I was remembering the last two passages we've talked about. The first week, the woman who was allegedly caught in adultery. And then last week, story as well. Jesus takes people who were otherwise shunned and ignored and thought of as less than women and children. Jesus brings up and values and includes and loves. This is what we want to be as Mission Gathering Christian Church, a place that welcomes and affirms and loves as Jesus did, to do as Jesus did ourselves. You know, the, the, the message that we seem to hear so often from society is that we've got to take care of us because no one else will, and if we take care of others, we're going we're gonna to lose something, we're going to suffer, we're going to have less than. The message of the good news of God's kingdom is that in giving of ourselves, we ultimately gain. I want to say that again because it's such an important point. The message of the good news of God's kingdom that Jesus was trying to proclaim is that when we give of ourselves, we ultimately gain. And for the kingdom of God is to be a place where children are cared for, where our basic needs are met, 
where our relationships can blossom and where we ourselves can thrive. In other words, working together with God to bring God's dream for the world to reality doesn't just benefit others. It benefits us as well. Again, God's not asking us to be the next Mother, uh, Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King Jr. Rather, I think God is inviting us into a place where we can practice, if only on a small scale, the ways of God's kingdom. Here together, we may not be a huge crowd, but we can, by living and loving and working together, support our own children, support each other's children, while also supporting children across the community in need. There's a great organization we're associated with called Tennyson Center for Children. Perhaps you've heard of them. They support abused and neglected kids throughout the metro area who are suffering from trauma. Here together we can, by living and loving and working together, support families and relationships through Katrina's, I don't even remember the name of your nonprofit, Fairy Godmothers. When I was writing the sermon, I was trying to think of what that was called. Organizations that support struggling families. Here together we can, by living, loving, and working together, we can help individuals who are suffering through organizations like Community of Faith, a great nonprofit that's uh, on federal that supports individuals and families in need, offering them the support they need as well. One of our core beliefs, one of our core values here at Mission Gathering, is that we together, we have faith that we together can make this world look a little bit more like God's kingdom. And this, this is the thing that I don't understand but I know it to be true. That when we move beyond ourselves, we find a life previously unimaginable. The life that the rich man longed for. That's the life we find. As one expert said, when we stop worrying only about ourselves and begin to care for our neighbor, that's when we find redemption. We are in a political climate, we're in a climate within our country right now that it seems to be, seems to be just compelling us to worry about ourselves, to take care of mine and me first and my family and my little tribe or my little circle. And God calls us, I really believe this, God calls us to go out and to share God's love even if that's just a smile on our face or a wave or just seeing someone that looks different than us or acts differently than us or, can I be frank here, is on the other side of the political party than us and show them love and care and value. Say, so you are a child of God and I'm going to love you and respect you no matter what. Our dream for mission gathering, our dream for this place, is it's going to be a place where children are treasured, where families are supported, where relationships are nurtured, and people are loved. But not just that. That we go from this place 
to love children who are not our own, to support families that might look different than our own, and to show love and care for people in all relationships. After all, our name is Mission Gathering. We gather for mission. The good news is that, the good news that we can celebrate today is that we can make a difference in our community. And sometimes that means by starting to make a difference within ourselves. Let me say it again. And sometimes it's just by remembering that there is good news. That there is good news to share. Reminding of ourselves the good news. Reminding that God calls us, each one of us, by name to come alive and be the people that God created us to be. So as we go from this place, let's remember that by sharing and living into Jesus' dream for the world, we can help God's kingdom come, God's will be done, even now as it is in heaven. Amen.